I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Well, we've made it to week two for Book of the Day here on CPL Radio, and we've renewed our book reviewer's contract for another week as well. Uh, but now when I look at the fine print, he apparently is demanding a dressing room stock with Perrier, charcuterie boards, and the latest PlayStation video games. And that's just for his dog, Frida. Uh, our book of the day is next, and it's a biggie. Here we are, book of the day, week two, very exciting, and it's uh, doubly exciting to welcome back our book reviewer at large, Steve Donahue, on this Halloween. Hello, Steve. Hello, everybody. So nice to have you here. Um, we're going to tackle... It's also that our first week, you said we finished our first week, we also got through it without mobs and pitchforks. <laughs> very nice. <laughs> I see you didn't look at the uh, Google video oh. from Wisconsin. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> No, the Wisconsin version of that is, uh, hey, I got so upset I almost said something. Um, so anyway, <laughs> um, let's talk about uh, the small, you know, insignificant figure in literature, John Grisham. <laughs> there it is. Oh, we are talking today about John Grisham's 48th novel. <sighs> The boys from Biloxi, he is very nearly at novel number 50. (laughs) (sighs) This is, I assume, all over your library system. Without a doubt. Without a doubt. Which is very popular. Loved, yeah, well loved. You know, I mean, I don't think he's the juggernaut that he was in the 90s during his firm Pelican Brief, you know, main influx. But uh, if it's a Grisham, it's going to have holds and it's going to go out with uh, a fair amount of robust, you know, circular, you know, circular training. That's really something, isn't it? To carry on that kind of cachet over 30 years. That's, that's, it is. It's absolutely, uh, and, and as contemporaries, I don't think, you know, because who else came, uh, Scott Turow came around the same time, and he certainly didn't keep up that same kind of, uh, you know, sales numbers or, um, you know, uh, cranking out the books with as much, uh, you know, fervor. So, um, and I will say, personally, that 
I am mostly okay with what Grisham does. I don't I have I don't have a love for lawyers, but I think his prose is not terrible as <laughs> is damning with faint praise, but it's readable, highly readable prose. He and- also responded to the to, to the knowledge. He's fairly self-aware as as the best-selling author goes and he responded to the fact that a lot of his readers aren't particularly keen on lawyers. Well, I think he, he later later on in his writing career he realized what a an enormously sizable proportion of the United States population has had some or all of their life rooked over by a lawyer. <laughs> so it becomes harder and harder to make them, you know, the shining light heroes of the book, which is why you get books like Playing for Pizza, which right. is incredibly effective. Yes. And yeah. Doesn't have that kind of a heavy footprint. That, that's kind of wise on his part. It is. It is. He's um, really. <sighs> A lot of his lawyers, while they seem to occupy a serpentine <laughs> system, they all still have just this one element of Jimmy Stewart aw shucksness about them. <laughs> and I think that's important. I think he plays does that that's well. Missing from Scott Turow or from the granddaddy of both of them, Barry Reed, mm. that, that kind of thing. The, those other legal thriller authors give you heroes who have been in themselves worked over by the legal system. They are very flawed, battered heroes. Absolutely. Absolutely. I read a lot about this one over the weekend and I watched uh, Mr. Grisham's, uh, I think CBS uh, this morning visit, um, which was interesting because Gail King made a major faux pas and said, your first chapter sucks. (laughs) That was really interesting. (laughs) There couldn't possibly be any Grisham fans out there that don't think that. (laughs) So we're off to a rough start here. <laughs> um, yeah, I would say, how on earth could you have 40-something books under your belt and not know that the first chapter of this book, which is one enormous info dump, nice. was a bad move? And the only answer I can come up with, and I don't know this one way or another, is that you he has so insulated himself from that kind of self-evaluation, including yeah. fatally from his publishers. And the publisher should have caught that, <laughs> that it can just happen, which I would, I would like to think that's not true, yeah. but yes, I can't. Sir, Mr. Grisham. I know exactly. <laughs> How do you say no to John Grisham? The, the, the ultimate threat is one that other best-selling authors, including one particular horror author, have actually come through on, which is if I don't like the publishing houses, the way they're dealing with me, I'll walk. Right. <laughs> and I'm 40% of your income. Yes, indeed. That's uh, unthinkable. Um, he actually had a reason for his reasoning was, and he acknowledged himself as, yeah, I'm the master of the hook, but I felt this was necessary. And of course, that didn't, speaking of hook, didn't get him off the hook with Gail King. No, and it's not true. I mean, authors, bless their hearts, <laughs> and, and talk all they want, but it's up to critics to tell you whether or not that, that makes any sense. But it doesn't. Well, so. speaking of, Steve, I happen to have one here in the room. And let us talk about your reaction to the uh, boys from Biloxi. It's an interesting concept. I mean, conceptually, it's it sounded a very interesting. interesting concept. This is the concept is the strongest part of this book. This is the story of two boys who are both the son of Croatian immigrants. So this could have been an immigration story. Sons of immigrants story. It could have been that, but it isn't. (laughs) And one of them, Keith Rudy, they're they're best friends when they're young. They bond over baseball. Uh, Again, as with playing for pizza, you want to be very careful of aging white male authors who have a 
sweet tooth for baseball because you're going to get a lot of it. And there's a lot of it in this book. And all of it is set to the kind of Spielberg at his worst soft focus with violins in the background type setting that will turn your stomach if you're an ordinary human being, <laughs> especially somebody, if you're an ordinary human being who has been to a baseball game and had a 300 pound local boy fan vomit warm beer over the back of your head if, if that's ever happened to you and who of us hasn't that happened, I mean, you're, you're gonna have find it really hard to, to, to put up with like you mentioned the jimmy stewart saccharine nature of the baseball in here but the boys keith rudy is one and hugh malco is the other and they bond over baseball but then they take two completely separate tracks in life keith becomes a crusading lawyer in his father's footsteps to clean up the sin and degradation, the lawlessness of Biloxi. And Hugh takes over the sin and lawlessness <laughs> of the coast, of the, the coast of sin, the Dixie Mafia of Biloxi. So this could have been a story of divided loyalties. Sure, Shakespearean, yeah. It could have been Shakespearean, but it's not that either. <laughs> oh. <laughs> it could have been the story of an Elliot Ness-style crusade against entrenched organized crime but it's not that either <laughs> <laughs> so what is it <laughs> it is it is a huge misfire oh, okay a huge misfire for an author who usually doesn't make them yeah, yeah. usually grisham will uh, say what you want about his literary style or lack thereof but he earns his fans devotion mm -hmm. usually if you put the elements of a book on a table in front of him he will know exactly how to assemble them to use them. <laughs> that was a figure of speech an old friend of mine used to say that, you know, that's how you know a best-selling author from yeah. a, a non-best-selling author or from a non-author. Right, right. <laughs> a non-author, you won't even recognize that the elements are on the table. <laughs> Mr. Grisham has, has saved the cat more than once is what you're saying. <laughs> a midwest author will see the elements but put them together wrong. In fact, they'll sweep yeah. some of them off the table and say those aren't any good at all mm. i'm going to concentrate on these because these interest me yeah and yeah thing also will take all the elements and immediately see how to put them together into an effective book and grisham can usually be relied upon to do that and he absolutely fails mm. the drama between fathers and sons could have been so charged imagine if keith's father is afraid of him going into being a crusading lawyer and wants him not to imagine, oh sure imagine if hugh's father thinks he's a disgrace to the family by going into crime. Imagine Absolutely. The fathers aren't on board with what the sons are doing. Absolutely. Obviously, each boy is not on board with the other. Imagine if they're also facing a kind of complicated resistance from their own families. Oh, sure. Happen. It sounds disappointing because what you're describing is like a, you, we could have had a swampy Delta, like the Korean film Infernal Affairs uh, or whatever Scorsese did later on. I can't remember, call the title offhand now with Nicholson and Damon. I mean, that kind of you oh, know yes. hypercharged, you had that possibility and we don't get it, which is just painful. And you are essentially brothers. Yeah. So this could have been an unbelievably charged story. And instead, it sits there flat as a pancake oh, that's and it's loaded with exposition you have it's not just chapter one although chapter one is infamous i don't know what grisham's publicist or publisher or editor was thinking not to change that first chapter hmm. and on top of that if i remember correctly they added to that mistake by making the first chapter available in its entirety on amazon oh. <laughs> 
What on earth are you doing? You like this? You want more? Chapter six, paragraph six of chapter one deals with the municipal paperwork that you need to do if you want to rezone a fire hydrant. Mm. (laughs) Somebody pinch me. I know. (laughs) When there are a couple of scenes in this book that, you know, Grisham can't botch a courtroom scene. No, and there's there's one really tense courtroom scene in here, and one, of course, hugely climactic. The climax is a courtroom scene. Sure, those work, but they don't work enough to save mm. them. It's a terrible shame. That's unfortunate. Yeah, it really is. I don't. Cause... I don't bash on Grisham at all. I don't. No. You know, there. Are, I know plenty of literary snobs who do who bash mm-hmm. on Grisham and his loyal readers. I I don't agree with that at all, but this kind of a failure mystifies me yeah yeah i don't expect him in his what seventh decade i don't expect him to swim for the stars i don't expect him to do anything stylistically that he that he doesn't know will work right but i expect him to do what has worked for him in the past (laughs) do the job man (laughs) show up for work our first book of the week I I I would find it hard to imagine even a diehard Grisham fan who wouldn't call this a failure. I've read the Amazon reviews because I do like to do that. I'm sure you oh, are there, dabble as well. There's there's a fair amount right now, and you you feel in even the ones they give you know they laid out four or five stars and said this was adequate. <laughs> Maybe you know and that's you got to watch that. Yeah, it's a shame. I I you know you want. When Grisham was first coming down the pike in the late 80s, early 90s, it was exciting. It was an exciting time to see a, a writer who would write about, you know, courtroom dramas and they were tense and taut and you could, you know, and, and for him to just get this loose is just not what you want to see. Yeah, this this is, you can see on every, almost every page, you can just see him researching. Ah. So he found Biloxi's history interesting. Right. And great. That's good for you. That's good for your diary. But you can't expect your reader to find it. <laughs> you have to make it interesting. It's not interesting yeah. to them. Uh, well, uh, here's the nice thing. He's, I'm sure already at work. He's two books ahead already, and I'm, I'm sure uh, you know. I, the, the, we will not lose hope. We will not. Uh, we I'm less, must leave uh, Grisham fans with a glimmer of hope that. Uh, no, not at all. Of course, you know, when an author gets close to a big landmark, there are always rumors that swirl all around. <laughs> there are also rumors about his 50th book mm. also i don't believe that any of them are true but, but they're everything from him signing off from writing on his yeah. 50th book to him resurrecting the firm <laughs> i was just gonna say that reeks of a <laughs> i see a firm two and stone letters those kind of columns the two <laughs> you know, courthouse columns oh boy an author like this an author who's been on the bestseller list for 35 years basically has two things he can do you can either when you get to this point in your career you can either try something radically different because why not there's no way they can hurt you right the mortgage is already paid the grandkids are already at harvard (laughs) or you can just faithfully keep doing what got you here absolutely and the thing that mystifies me about this book is that he doesn't do either one yeah so yeah, that sure. is interesting. Yeah. And, you know, it's funny because the legal profession and just the law in America has changed enough that he could have changed with it and still been cranking out some pretty tense materials. Right. Maybe one could argue doubly so nowadays. Right. right. And the obvious example here that always comes to mind is John Le Carre. 
Yes, yes. Made a career out of the Cold War. And I remember thinking when the Cold War ended, I remember I was so bookish. I'm such a thoroughly irredeemably bookish person that when I was watching live newsfeed footage of the Berlin Wall coming down, one of my first thoughts was, what's Charlie Carey going to do? <laughs> I wasn't thinking of a liberation of an entire country. I was thinking, what's Charlie Carey going to do? But he managed to do it. Yeah. The spy was out of the cold. Yeah. <laughs> it worked well, he, out well. He initially said something that I discounted. I wish that I hadn't. I wish that he were wrong. When that happened, and people, of course, came to him and said, you know, what are you going to do now that there's no more Cold War? And at first, before I think someone got to him and made him change his, his response, <laughs> he said, the Cold War will be back before I'm gone. <laughs> yes. I, I thought, oh, come on, John. <laughs> he was right. Of course, I wish that weren't the case. But after that, after that got cleaned up, that line of response got cleaned up, then he, he's, the State Department probably told him, you know, stop saying that. <laughs> <laughs> we love your books, but shut up. <laughs> yeah. well, we don't want to whack you. <laughs> we love your books, but please don't make us whack you. We'll show you how cold it can get. <laughs> after that, he said, you know, well, my books are about the, the tension in the heart of man, yeah. not the tension between countries, and wrote half a dozen books that were more or less like that that were fantastic wonderful absolutely yeah good stuff but not in this case well mr grisham uh we tried steve tried um (laughs) steve always tries that's what's wonderful about having steve here who is uh i don't want to dislike any book no no and that's that's a really good distinction i was thinking about that this weekend that uh and that's what makes you great for this show and uh makes your fans and people who love you because you don't I'm assuming you always crack every book open with it or not, hope. Cormac McCarthy. And there's a good That's reason. why I was thinking about you this week. He has two of them. It's been straining me to the limit of Catholic charity. But there's a good reason for it. The, I, the, the reason for it is not some pie-in-the-sky Mother Teresa pietism. It's pure selfishness. I want that hair standing on and put off subway stops feeling of reading a terrific book i want that purely because it feels good i want that same as anybody else i firmly believe that's why all of us are reading right for that feeling absolutely i want every book to provide that well how wonderful that would be if every book did well if every book doesn't there's not much we can do for you but we guarantee you book of the day will provide that for you and that's what we're here for we'll so see if we can do better tomorrow i as always hope will be eternal on this show thank you steve always nice to see you on a monday We'll see you all soon. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.